Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Matthew chapter 16 From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves 
and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Psalm 121 I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Chapter 40 To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal? says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Hi there. I remember once when Ellie was about four or five and Sammy would have been two or three. I remember, I remember those exhausted but glorious evenings when you're tired to your bones. But the kids are finally asleep and deeply enfolded in the glorious childhood innocence of slumber. 
those wonderful moments when you could sneak into your child's room, the carnage of bath time and the terrible twos, tea time meltdowns, all forgotten, and you just sneak in like some victorious warrior to take a sneak peek at the glorious silence and the beauty of your sleeping child. I remember one such winter night vividly burned into my memory. Ellie, cutely having a sleepover in Sam's room after playing dress up and building castles and playing all day, a day filled with laughter, fun and lots of mess. I remember creeping silently into their room late into the evening, just before turning in, barefooted and in pyjamas, just to gaze at these two wonderful children, to, to pull the covers back over their little spread eagle bodies, absolutely silent, apart from their deep, steady breath. And then I remember treading on a Lego brick, a small one, not a big chunky sixer or a long, thin tenner, no, an evil, unseen, three-sided, skin-shredding monster of a corner piece. And I shrieked, stepped back, and landed on a, a set of miniature toy soldiers. Toys from my childhood, toys that that day I had proudly presented to my children. And not just your typical English and German affair, but a more rare Napoleonic set, each with a razor-like base, and yes, each with a sword unsheathed and held aloft, ready for battle, ready for attack, ready to make me scream like a banshee. And so I can only imagine the horror faced by my two children as they now sat both bolt upright in bed, watching this dark menacing nightmare before them, hopping from foot to foot like some dancing ogre, watching it cry and scream and squeal and shout shouting words through a hand-clenched mouth that no one in my house had ever heard before. Most of us on a good day might spend much of our day feeling like a, a warrior, invincible and strong, but all it takes is one Lego brick, one tiny rattling, sabre-rattling grenadier stumbled upon in bare feet just to remind us of how vulnerable we really can be. Feet are amazing. They're amazing things. Having just returned from breathtaking Scotland, hiking for three days with my super fit son Sam to mark the end of his GCSE year, I'm only too aware of my feet right now. But you know, they are amazing things. There are more than 200 bones in the body and 25% of them are in our feet. With each step we take, our feet, the major shock absorbing system of the human body, interact with more than a hundred other muscles, tendons, ligaments and bones. And when we run, our feet are able to stabilise and support the heavy loads that are generated. Loads of between five and seven times our actual body weight. Over a lifetime, the average person circumnavigates the Earth's circumference more than five times. Feet are amazing. And it's no wonder that they sometimes ache. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, says the prophet Isaiah in chapter 52. Feet are truly incredible, yet they're also incredibly vulnerable, which is why we wear shoes. Shoes form a, a protective shield between those precious, fragile feet and the rest of the world. Shoes protect us from injury. They make it 
so much easier for us to get out and about, to walk, to run, run risk-free, to launch ourselves out into the world. But, you know, I think shoes do something else too. Now, I have really ticklish feet. I don't really like people touching them. Uh, and I know people can be really funny about their feet. You only have to watch the awkwardness of a feet washing moment in a church service to see that. For those of us who have ordained, coming to ordination within the Church of England, it's a celebrated tradition that on the night before ordination, a bishop kneels before you and washes your feet, or more accurately, your foot, the foot of those who are coming to be ordained. I remember that special night really, really well, but it should be added that you have never seen such a bunch of more deeply scrubbed, manicured and presentable feet than those presented to a person on that night. I think the phrase putting your best foot forward must have originated from this ritual. And so I think for most people, removing their shoes in public, especially in a formal or social setting, would be unthinkable, certainly really intimidating. When you remove your shoes, people can see your feet. It's both an intimate and vulnerable act. In a formal setting, it would usually feel unseemly or inappropriate. Kicking off your shoes implies a relaxed, at-home posture, casual, familiar. And so when we're in a formal setting or when we're at work, we wear shoes. Shoes make us feel less vulnerable and make us feel more acceptable, perhaps. They are for us, beyond the style and design, simply an unthought of insignificant barrier between us and the dust that Genesis tells us that we're created from. But they are too a sign to us and to others that we're ready for action, ready for work, ready for play, ready for school, ready to step out. We're ready to go. So I'm deeply intrigued by what God says to Moses in today's reading. In fact, it's one of the first things that God says to Moses before he gives him the law or the Ten Commandments, before he tells him to go down Moses to Egypt and tell old Pharaoh to let my people go, before all the signs and the wonders and the miracles and before all of that, God says to Moses, take your shoes off. Take your shoes off because the ground on which you're standing is holy. Now, I know there's much to be said in this episode for an honoured position of submission and humility before a holy God. That's how I guess I've always understood this passage, and clearly there is truth in that. But if we think about it, do we really think that God is worried about Moses trampling dirt around his burning bush in the same way that my mother rightly worries about her best Axminster? I mean... I wonder if there's something else happening here. Moses is a man of action, a man of strength, a man of conviction, determination. He's known power and authority, perhaps even pride. And he certainly walked in and exerted that power. And shoes? Well, shoes can give us just enough lift above the earth to make us feel superior. Maybe not much but just enough to make us feel comfortable or significant or safe and secure 
on solid ground. I'm not an expert, it should be said, but as I understand it, they're not called power hills for nothing. And so visiting Sri Lanka, as I've now had the privilege of doing several times, I'm always fascinated, having visited many houses as a guest, of the custom of leaving your shoes at the door outside before entering. Of course, it's not a uniquely Sri Lankan thing. In Japan, for example, taking off one's shoes is widespread. It's important. It's ancient. It's a thousand-year-old custom. Yes, partly to help keep houses and floors clean, but perhaps more importantly, and this is perhaps true for most of us in our houses, to allow people, especially guests, to feel that they can relax, to be themselves, to feel at home. So what if this account of Moses' life is more than a lesson in the attitude of humility and etiquette? Could it be rather that God is longing for Moses to drop his guard? put aside his history, his stature, to lower his defences. Maybe, just maybe the Lord is really wanting Moses to take his shoes off because he simply longs for Moses to be himself, to remove all pretense, to be vulnerable and open to what God is about to say. And if that's true, what might it mean for you and I? God wanted Moses with all his gifts, qualities and flaws and weaknesses simply to be Moses, not to try and pretend to be someone else, to hide behind a mask to achieve the things that God was calling him to. He simply needed to come as he was, vulnerable and open, ready to be used despite those flaws, utterly weak so he could truly depend upon and witness the glorious saving power of this sovereign God. God's voice to Moses, God's voice to you, is like this. Moses, take your shoes off. I need you. Not Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. Not the Apostle Paul or someone with a PhD in theology. Or someone with a George Cross for gallantry. No, no, sit with me. Share with me face to face, honestly and simply, as friends. I've got a great plan and I'd love you to be a part of it. <laughs> and, and Moses, honest and able to be truthful in this context, in this place of peace and friendship. Moses being Moses says, who me? You must be kidding, right? And the rest, well, the rest is history. <laughs> And for you and for me, what an invitation. Invited to kick our shoes off and made to feel at home before the King of Kings. Friends, not servants. Jesus says, sit with me, share with me, listen to me. I've got a great plan I long for you to be part of. And when in that place of honesty and safety, we respond like Moses, who me? You're kidding, right? The Lord of all creation, who has welcomed us to sit and eat with him says, don't worry, I've got everything covered. 
I'll give you everything you need. And you too, you'll see wonders and signs that you could never have imagined. Come, let's walk together. Amen.